Well, good morning. Apparently, we need to have like really cold wind and everybody's going to get here on that morning. So we'll just kind of keep ordering that out. No, I'm just kidding. I won't pray for that. Uh, But no, we're glad that you're here. Happy New Year. I hope the holidays and New Year was great and that you're just ready to jump into this new year. Uh, Really just finding out what it means for you to really follow after God, the creator of the universe, and really live for him. And uh, for those of you who are here for the very first time, you've never been here before, you're a first-time guest, welcome to you. Uh, thanks for you know choosing to spend a, an hour or uh, approximately an hour together with us and just kind of you know giving that time for us to be able to worship together and really pour in and, and listen to what God has for us this morning and, and as we worship Him. Uh, well, as you're driving along on, uh, this could be in the city streets or on the highway or on the interstate, and as you're driving along and, and you look out and you see this along the side of the road, okay, uh, you know, and you think, you're probably, first thing is you're thankful it's not you, right? Or, or maybe you're going along and you see this on the side of the road, this next one. Uh, maybe you see this or maybe you see this, all right? Now, let me ask you this question. What do you do? What do most people do when you see they're one of these two things on the side of the road? What do you tend to do? What do you have to do? You have to look, right? We all have to look. Like, we try not to, right? We don't actually want to show the person that we really want to know who got pulled over so we can make fun of them later, right? But we really do want to know so that we can make fun of them later or so we can call them and be like, hey, are you having fun? Have you ever done that? If you know somebody got pulled over and call them right then, right? And just, it's, it's great. I've, I've not actually done that, but I think it's a good idea, all right? But, but I mean, I, I, it, just, it just came to me like that would be awesome. So if, you, if this happens, just do that. But we look, right? We have to look. If we see a little fender bender, if we see somebody got pulled over, we have to look. And generally what happens when you look at what is going on the side of the road, what happens when you look? What happens to your car? It drifts, doesn't it? Like all of a sudden you realize, you're like, oh, I'm about to be one of those, right? I'm about to get pulled over for swerving or I'm about to run into something. We, we, we divert our eyes and where our focus goes, that's where we go. Well, today I want to start a brand new series. It's a three-week series called Focus. And really this, this series is very simple. What we're going to do is we're going to f- talk about what we as a church, what Northridge Church is really needing to be focused on. So it's a little bit of vision, it's a little bit of mission, it's a little bit of all that kind of stuff, but really more than anything these next three weeks, we're going to just talk about what is important to Northridge. What makes us tick? Where are we going? What do we get excited about? And in fact, if you've been wondering about building a facility, we're not going to give you all the answers for that in this series. I know you guys would be like, I'd love to be able to just tell you, hey, we we found a building. It's already built. We're just moving in in a few weeks, right? Be awesome. But that's not really the case. But I will want to update you on kind of where we're at, what we're trying to do, and and what some of our hopes are for the future. So that's in this series as well. So we're going to get into a lot of stuff. But really what I want out of this series is I want us to catch to really understand what makes Northridge tick. What gets us excited? What are we really all about? What's important to us? What are we going to live according to? And so that's what this whole series is about. And if you're wondering if this is going to be relevant to your personal life, it is. Because everything that Northridge is all about is something that all of us should be about in our personal lives. 
Everything we talk about in this series is something that we should be doing and getting involved in and be getting excited about in our own personal lives. So everything that we focus on as a church is something that we need to focus on personally as well. And so everything we talk about in this series is something that I hope that you guys tackle and get excited about and get into. So today we're going to talk about something that you've heard many, 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 many times at Northridge about. We have ta- it's been a long time since we've really talked about it at length, but we talk about it and you hear it all the time. Okay, and you can probably figure out what it is because there's massive giant numbers to my right, right? Today we're going to talk about the 167 principle, okay? The 167 principle. And I want to explain what that is because a lot of us here know what that is, but a lot of us here don't know what that is. And that's totally fine. If you've been to Northridge for any length of time, at the minimum you've at least heard it, okay? You've heard of it because we talk about it constantly. But the 167 principle is very simple, Regardless of our age or our background or where we live or where we don't live or, you know, if we're married or single, it does not matter what our background is. Whenever we have a week in our schedule from Sunday to the end of Saturday, right, no matter what, who we are, where we live, what age we are, we all start and we all have 168 hours in every week. Okay, regardless of who we are, as long as we finish that week, we all got the same amount of time. We all got 168 hours. Now, you may feel like you've been robbed of some time, right? Maybe your boss robbed you of some time, right? But we all have 168 hours in our week. None of us has a little bit more or a little bit different or a little bit less. We all start with 168 hours, okay? What we hope and pray for is that people of Northridge, that you would decide, that you would choose on a weekly basis to spend at minimum, this is the smallest, at minimum one hour together, worshiping together and enjoying our community of faith and, and lifting up our God. Okay? We hope that at least once a week, at minimum for an hour, yes, we have life groups, we have all kinds of other ministries, and so we want you to get involved in all those things too. But at minimum, we want you to be involved worshiping together at least one of those 168 hours every week to worship God together, corporately. But then what we say is the 167 other hours that are left after that, where we worship corporately together, that is where real value comes in to your faith and to your life. What you do with those 167 other hours is what brings real purpose to your life. This is a good start, meeting and worshiping corporately together. But what we do when we leave these doors, as we talk about all the time, is what's really, really important. Okay, what we do when we get out of here. All right, so that's what we're going to do. And the 167 is very simply our reminder. It's our way. It's the Northridge version of making sure that we remember a couple of things. One, that we need to make sure our lives are in service to others and other people all the time. So right now, we're kind of worshiping God together. But then when you walk out of here, you're still on point. Like, you're still on mission. As soon as you leave these doors, it is time. The 167 begins immediately, okay? 167 other hours of your week is on. And so what this does is this reminds us not only that we need to serve, but also that as followers of Christ, as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, it doesn't take a break you know, like in between Sunday and Sunday, right? Typical American Christianity is, I go to church. I go to church. Well, good for you. (laughs) It doesn't mean you're a follower of Christ at all. 
It, it doesn't mean anything, in fact. Because, because I, I, could, I could even stand up here and preach and not be a follower of Christ. You realize that, right? I could do that. I could do that. And if my soul and my heart's not before God, I'm not a follower of Christ. I, I could talk all I want. It doesn't matter if I went to church or not. What matters is how our heart and our soul is oriented before God. Have we given our life to Jesus? Do we live for him on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, on a minute by minute basis? That is true faith in Christ. And so the 167, when you hear the 167, when you see those numbers, when you see this on a t-shirt, when you see it on the screen, when you hear us talk about it, the 167 is all about serving other people on a regular basis and remembering that we are followers of Christ every minute of every day, not just on Sunday. Basically, going to church and living for Christ is not something we do. It is something we are. We are the church. You are the church. So as we go, we need to be the church. And so, uh, of course, as you might imagine, we get this standard, this understanding out of God's word, out of the Bible. Um, Jesus is the greatest example. And this is what he said. You've heard me quote this probably a thousand times here at Northridge. And we're not even that old as a church, right? Just over five years old. But, uh, but just listen to what Jesus says. This is his purpose. And if it's his purpose, it's our purpose as well. Matthew twenty twenty eight. For even the Son of Man, for even Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. We were created to serve. We were created to give our lives to God and to give our lives for other people. That's what we are literally created for, just like Jesus. Okay? So now, as you would imagine, Jesus says this. He says this a lot, in fact. He says these kinds of things. Maybe not exactly in those words, but he says this a lot. That he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Okay? But as you would imagine, Jesus did not just talk a big game. Right? He did not just talk a big game. Jesus didn't say, man, I have come to serve. And then Jesus sat on the couch and watched football all day. Right? Jesus is not going to talk a big game and then not live it out. He lived it out. He was the perfect and the greatest example we have of being a servant. He is the best example we have. And so what I want to do for a few minutes is I want to unpack a verse or a passage, a story where Jesus demonstrates very powerfully to his disciples and to you and I, what kind of a servant we need to be. How do we need to serve in our life? And so we're going to be in John chapter 13. If you'd like to follow along in your Bible, that's where we're going to be, John chapter 13. Um, so this is the setting. Jesus is hanging out with his 12 disciples, okay? Uh, now, the timing of this is this is his last meal that he's going to have with the disciples, okay? Yeah, th- literally, later on this night, literally in the middle of the night, he's going to be arrested, wrongly accused, because he's completely innocent, of course. Jesus never did anything wrong. But he's wrongly accused, and then he's sent to the cross to be crucified for your sins and mine. Right? So this is literally the night when he's going to be arrested. This is the last meal he's going to have with his disciples. So he's at supper. They're lounging at the table. Remember, they don't have chairs like we do at the table. So imagine them laying out, kind of lounging around the table. That's what they did. Okay? And they're in this room, and, uh, and they're having this dinner, and Jesus is going to demonstrate to his disciples one of the most powerful things that they're going to learn from him. One of the most powerful examples that he can give to them, he's going to give to them on this night at this meal. 
Okay, so let's jump in. We're going to jump in right when Jesus starts to demonstrate this very powerful act for his disciples. John chapter 13, starting with verse 4. So he, this is Jesus, so Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Now, this may not seem amazing at first. You're like, wow, I was expecting like parting in the Red Sea or, you know, something a little more miraculous. Okay, this sounds like we're just washing feet. It is. Literally, that's all that's happening. He's washing feet. But we need to understand a couple of things that are happening here before we go on. Okay, first, this task of washing feet, this is, this is a task that nobody wants. Okay, if I were to say, hey, we're going to have a ministry, we're going to have this thing, we're going to have bouncy houses, we're going to do all this, you can serve brownies, and all kind of stuff, and then we're going to have a foot washing station, and we need people to sign up for that. How many of you, that's the first one you go to? Like, that's me. I'm all over that. I want to wash random people's feet. That would be great. Right? No, none of us would sign up for that. Right? None of us would do it. Like, it would be, everything's filled, and then that one's still like, we'd send another email and be like, come on. Right? Because nobody's going to sign up for that. Right? Because nobody wants this task. Well, in Jesus' culture, in Jesus' day, it was a task that nobody wanted either. This task was tr- literally and traditionally formed and, and given to the lowest of the lowest of the low servant, right? The servant that was just hired like yesterday, and he, you know, he or she is new on the totem pole, so to speak. They're at the bottom rung. They haven't worked their way anywhere yet. They're the ones that get to wash everybody's feet. That's your job. Get to it. It's the lowest of the lowest of the lowest task for them, Okay. So that, that's the first thing that we need to know. The second thing that we need to know is this may seem weird to us, but this foot washing thing, it was supposed to have happened long before Jesus got up and started doing this. Okay, this is a basic hospitality thing in their culture. Okay, I know this is weird to us because I don't know about you, but if you, you're going to have a Super Bowl party. People come over, right? And you take their coats and do all kinds of stuff. And then what, you know, if you have the water basin, you'd be like, hey guys, before the Super Bowl starts, let, sit down, let me wash your feet real quick, right? How many people are going to come back to your house? None. I promise you, they, they'll never come back. They'll be like, they washed my feet. It was weird. Nobody's touching my feet, right? It's not, a, it's not a normal hospitality thing in our culture, but in their culture, it is normal. It is expected, in fact. In fact, it's rude. Downright, like nobody will show up to your house again because you were so rude not to wash their feet. It was like offering to take somebody's coat or offering them a drink of water when they get to your house. It's the same kind of a thing. It's basic hospitality. It's already supposed to have happened. And so Jesus and the disciples, I want you to picture this, okay? They're in the room, right? And he notices that this foot washing thing hasn't happened, okay? And so he decides he's going to take it on himself. Now, I I wouldn't put it past Jesus that maybe it's possible that Jesus told the servants, don't wash anybody's feet so he could see what the disciples would do. I wouldn't put it past Jesus to do this. He might have been doing this. I don't know. We don't hear that in the story. I'm just saying it's a possibility. But either way, it hasn't happened. And somebody should have taken care of it already. And so Jesus gets up and he's going to do it. Now, a couple of the things that we need to remember. Okay, this is around 30 A.D., Okay? This is around 30 AD. That's the year. And they live in what we now call the Middle East. It's dry. It's arid. It's desert. It's, 
you know, it's dirty, it's dusty, it's just kind of what it is. They also don't wear nice clothes, shoes with socks and everything like that because they don't live in Wisconsin, right? And so they, what they literally wear is they either go barefoot all the time or they wear this little strip of leather and then they wrap some leather straps around their ankles, okay? They call them sandals, but you and I probably wouldn't call them sandals. Like, we'd be like, what is this? Looks like leather cardboard, you know, with, with a rope tied around. That's basically what their sandals were, okay? And, and also keep in mind that the people in this culture did not bathe as often as we do, right? We kind of are obsessed with bathing. We bathe like almost every day, all right? I don't know about you, but I bathe almost every day. There are some days, okay? But almost every day we bathe. Every they didn't do this. And so I want you to understand that their feet, basically the point is their feet are nasty, <laughs> they're dirty. I mean, they're dusty and they're, they've, they've been wearing sandals. In, in a word, they're gross. Their feet are gross. And so Jesus, this is why actually Jesus takes off his robe because he's about to get dirty. Like it's going to be nasty. These feet are not like take off the socks and they might smell a little bit. No, they are caked with bleh. The, the dirt is going to literally go into the basin and that, that basin after the first washing, like it's going to be nasty. And so he's going to wash their feet. And so I want you to imagine this. This is this, put this into perspective. Okay, this is basically what this is like. I want you to imagine that you and I, all of us, have been invited to this fancy banquet. It's like a two hundred dollar, two hundred fifty dollar a plate meal. It's a maybe it's a fundraiser for, for some fancy thing or whatever, you know, all that kind of stuff. But we're invited to this fancy banquet. We get all dressed up. We show up to this huge room, chandeliers, all the stuff, the tables, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we walk in and we're milling around and we're doing the normal, you know, chit chat, chat, or everything. There's just hundreds of people in there, and everybody sits down at the tables and we're waiting for the guest of honor. Maybe the guest of honor is you know, some huge celebrity that's rich and powerful, maybe Tom Hanks or Julia Roberts or a senator, I don't care, it doesn't matter, but some huge major, you know, celebrity, some person that we all know is rich and powerful and, and, and they're the guest of honor, they're going to be speaking today for this huge event, they have this great speech and, and we're all there gathered and now all of a sudden we're, we're all sitting at the tables, we've been there for maybe a few minutes, maybe half an hour, maybe 45 minutes and finally the guest of honor arrives, right, and there's an entourage and everybody's like, woo! they're here and all that stuff. And they're going around, they're talking to people. And all of a sudden, a celebrity or whoever it is, they notice that there's no glasses and no water at the tables. And people have been here. They're starting to get dirt, you know, kind of dry. They've been talking and nobody, there's servants running everywhere, but nobody's given them anything to drink. And so all of a sudden, the celebrity decides, hey, okay, we've got to take care of this. And they walk back into the kitchen. They go into the kitchen. They don't order the servants around, but they literally grab the pitchers. They fill up the pitchers with water, and they find a, a tray of glasses, and they start running around. And they go to the first table and say, hey, do you guys want some water? Thanks for coming tonight. You know, and then they start filling your water. Tom Hanks or Julie Roberts or whatever. Hey, hey, okay, and then runs back and, okay, gets another tray and goes out to the next, the next one and starts serving water. How weird would that be? How crazy would that be? We'd just kind of be like, we'd step back and go, is this really happening right now? This is basically what's happening in, in the room with Jesus. Okay? The disciples are starting to get a little bit weirded out. <laughs> They're starting to get embarrassed. They're starting to feel guilty. They're starting to feel ashamed. Because they realize that what Jesus is doing, they should have already done. They already should have taken care of this long before this. Like the time has passed. Jesus is doing what everybody else should have already done. And they're realizing it. And of course, guess who has to speak up to Jesus and kind of say, hey, I need to figure out what's going on here. You know who it is? Peter, of course. It always has to be Peter. 
<laughs> he says all the wrong things at the wrong times, and today's no different, really. But Jesus is very gracious to him. And so I'll jump down to verse 6. This is what it says. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. That's a powerful statement from Jesus. Okay, without basically saying, Peter, you're just stupid. Like, just sit back, let me wash your feet. What Jesus is saying is, and understand, Peter's not asking Jesus, like, are you going to wash me feet? Like, literally, are you going to? Clearly, he's going to wash his feet. He's been washing the disciples' feet this whole time. So he knows. What Peter is doing is he is feeling ashamed that he did not do what clearly was supposed to have happened already. He's feeling embarrassed. He's feeling guilty. And and so I, I want us to understand something here. Peter, catch this, Peter would have been totally fine if one of the servants would have come up and started washing his feet. He wouldn't have asked him a question. He would, he would just said, uh, you know, give it in between the toes there. Yep, third and fourth toe. I've got a piece of sand. It's been in there for a couple of days. Right? He would have been fine. Right? He would have been fine. Get the servants down there. Wash my feet. Yes. Thank you. Let's get the other one. Right? If one of the disciples would have gotten up and said, you know what? None of the servants are taking care of it. Maybe they missed it, whatever. And so one of the disciples gets down to wash the feet. Peter would have been fine with that. Yeah. Thanks, John. Get it, John? Yeah, there you go. Could you just rub it for a little bit there? Like, he would have been totally fine. But he's not okay with Jesus washing his feet. Why? Because he realizes this is his Lord. This is his Savior. This is his teacher who is washing his feet for him. And the role should be reversed. He should be serving Jesus, not the other way around. But Jesus does this to illustrate a very powerful point. In fact, Jesus finishes washing the feet. Let me read to you what he tells them. He explains to the disciples what has just happened. And I'm sure this is a powerful moment for the disciples and their eyes are opened. Skipping down to verse 12. After washing their feet, Jesus put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord. And you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Jesus is making this very simple and extremely clear. Notice he does two things. He reminds the disciples, not that they necessarily need to be reminded, but he's trying to really make sure the point is driven into their soul at this moment. And so he makes sure that they remember, remember, I am your Lord. I am your teacher. I am your Savior. Do you remember that? Basically what Jesus is trying to remind them is, I am by far the highest ranking person in this room. Okay, Jesus is not saying, look at me, I'm awesome. Jesus is saying, remember, I'm the highest ranking person in the room. In fact, he could really pull the God card and say, I'm really the highest ranking member like in the universe. And I just happen to be in the room with you. 
But Jesus is saying, remember, I'm the highest ranking one. What is Jesus trying to explain and demonstrate to the disciples? It's this. And it's a very powerful point. It's one that we need to catch and make sure we understand. Regardless of our ranking in life, regardless of how much money we have or do not have, regardless of what neighborhood we live in or don't live in, regardless of what car we drive or don't drive, regardless of how good our family is or how broken our family is, regardless of how, uh, where, what kind of family we came from, regardless of our background, regardless of what we've done in life, what we haven't done in life, regardless of all of those things, it makes no difference what our rights are or anything like that. What matters is, regardless of all that, is whether or not you are willing to serve other people and serve God. Jesus is saying, my ranking is a moot point. If the feet have not been washed, then it needs to be done. And I'm willing to serve and do that. It doesn't matter that I'm the highest ranking person in the universe. I am willing to get out on my knees, lose my robe, get dirty, and wash your feet. Jesus was there to serve. And he demonstrates it powerfully. He says, I have given you an example to follow. And sometimes I think we miss this because I think sometimes what we tend to do is we tend to serve out of our margin. Okay. So we tend to like, if, if we put some out for Northridge or Wanakee Never Connection does something or whatever, or the chamber needs something done or whatever. And we look at our schedule and we see if we can fit it in. Am I right? We look and see, do I have the available time to do that? If we do, we do, maybe. If we don't, we definitely don't. I've got to work. I've got a birthday party. I've got a thing. I've got to relace my shoes. Right? Whatever it is. We, We have a thing. And we, and we say, well, I don't know, I'll have to check my schedule. That's really code language for I don't want to do this, therefore I need to figure out I have time in order to come up with an excuse. Right? It's not all the time, but a lot of times. And so what Jesus is saying is it does not matter what your schedule is or how much time you have or how much money you have or if you don't have money and you've got to work hard to make more money or all that kind of, It doesn't matter what your rights are. It doesn't matter all those things. What matters is are you willing to sacrifice some of yourself to give to those in need to help other people around you who need it and to serve God? That's what Jesus is talking about. It's the example that he's setting. And it's a powerful one. Now, why do we talk about the 167? Why have we made huge numbers, right, out of 167? Well, we want to see two things really happen here at Northridge and through Northridge, through the 167. Really two different methods, two different ways. Okay, the first way that we really operate with the 167 is this. We, we do a lot of things corporately together as a church, right? You guys know this. We do a lot of things where we offer opportunities for us to serve together, to do things together corporately as a local church body, right? Where we get everybody who wants to be involved can be involved. This would be things like the food drive, uh, when we do food for kids, uh, when we collected the relief buckets for hurricane uh, victims. Remember down south when we did that just recently? Uh, we adopted families for Christmas. We, uh, we got some amazing things for Christmas uh, for those families. Uh, we do uh, on and on and on. We could, we could just sit here and list tons and tons of stuff. We do lots of things where if you can get it on your calendar, you can put it on your calendar, you can plan to do that, you sign up for a 
a thing and you get, you just be there and you help and you serve, right? We do a lot of that stuff, don't we? Sometimes we do almost a little too much. I feel like some people are like, okay, okay, we're doing, we're doing another, like another thing. Like what are we, I have to do. And I understand that. And we try, we honestly, I can tell you, we honestly try to balance things out. We say no to a lot of things in order to say yes to a lot of great things. We really do. But we say yes to a lot of things too. So this is one way, one way that we want to have the 167 lived out in our church is through things that we do together as a group, like as a team, okay, where we get together. In fact, um, if you... Well, I'll leave it this way. If you are not serving in some capacity on a regular basis somewhere, it doesn't have to be Northridge. Northridge would count, obviously. Northridge or Wanakee Never Connection, or uh, I know uh, I can tell you, here's the deal. If you're not involved on a regular basis serving somebody somehow that doesn't benefit you in some way, I highly encourage you to do that because that's what Jesus has called you to do. And if you're not sure where to start, trust me on this. Just put your name on a connect card, let us know, or just talk to me afterwards. I can put you in contact with people who are doing amazing things. We have the director of Wanakee Neighborhood Connection goes to Northridge, right? I can connect you with her tomorrow. Done. And you're in, okay? I know that there's things to do. I know some people who live up in Lodi that are doing some amazing things uh, for the community, for the people in need, the least of these kind of people. I can put you in contact with this, this, this couple who's doing amazing things up in Lodi. Trust me, I can connect the dots for you. You just need to open the door, okay? Because generally speaking, I'm not gonna kick the door down and be like, uh, too much football, let's go. Let's go. We need to get you up, right? I'm typically not going to do that, okay? God might do that. Jesus might do that. But what Jesus has done is he's given us an example to follow. And the question is, are we doing that? Are we following it? So I'm literally, one of the biggest things that we want as a church is that our church collectively, as a team, that we get on board together, that we jump on the bandwagon together, and we help with things that are already happening or things that we're doing. Now, I want you to be watching and listening over this year because uh, as, uh, as, as the leaders at Northridge and a whole bunch of people, we are starting to ask the question, what does it look like for Northridge to have even more and better influence in our community through the 167 initiatives that we do? In other words, we want to start doing some things that are not happening now, that don't exist now, that we can make some really, really important gains and in influence in. For example... Um, you guys have heard of the drug epidemic that's going on in our country, in our world, and that has really affected Dane County, okay? But it's affecting everywhere. It doesn't matter where you are. The drug, drug epidemic is, is awful, okay? And we are losing lives. We're losing families. We're losing, we're losing a lot, okay? Just, just in the paper, was it three weeks ago, I think, I uh, had another person that we lost to, to drugs, okay? We're losing people to drugs constantly. So, we're asking the question, what can Northridge do proactively, not reactively, but proactively ahead of the game to try to win these lives before they, this happens? To try to, to try to help before this stuff gets to that, the lowest level, the bottom of the valley. So just be watching and waiting for what that, we don't know what that answer is, but we're starting to pray and actually seek what is it going to look like for us to be highly involved in this on a proactive basis. 
These are the kinds of things that we want Northridge to be about, to get involved in things, not only reactionary, not only with things that are going on. We're going to continue to do that. But how can we literally start something that could change lives, that could transform lives? And that's really what we want to see through the 167, is that lives are changed. Lives are transformed. The people were going one direction, but now they're going a different direction. That's what we really want to see, true change happen. So the first way that we want to see the 167 lived out in our church is corporately, like as a team. Things that we put on the calendar, things that we rally for, things that we announce on Sunday mornings and we say, hey, everybody, get on there. There's a link, sign up, get involved. We're going to do some great stuff. Those are good things. But then there's another way that we really want to see the 167 lived out. And if we miss this part of the 167, then we've really missed it entirely. This part of the 167 is, this is not something that you put on your calendar necessarily. This is not something like an event, like a food drive or food for kids or something like that. This is, we want to see people, the people of Northridge, live out the 167 on a regular daily basis. Just like Jesus, being ready, being aware, and being uh, available to jump in at a moment's notice. Whatever comes your way. Because every single day, we have an opportunity to serve people, don't we? We have an opportunity to serve people every single day. If you see somebody crying, having a hard day, guess what? That's Jesus tapping you on the shoulder and saying, foot washing right over there. Now, you don't have to wash their feet, just so you know. If you see somebody crying, don't say, hey, my pastor told me I need to wash your feet. I'm sorry you're having a bad day, but let me, uh, let me get those socks for you. Right? What I'm saying is, if somebody's having a rough day, whether you know them or not, it's quite possible that you can help them with their day. If nothing else, and saying, hey, I don't know what's going on. I'm sorry you're having a rough day, but, you know, I'll pray for you. I know, maybe you don't want that. Maybe I, I'd even be willing to pray for you right here. Have you ever done that? That might freak you out. Can I tell you, one of the most powerful things that you will ever do is to offer to pray for somebody, not like pray in general for them, but to pray for them and pray for them right then. It's one of the most powerful things you'll ever do. I know it'll be a stretch, but try it. It's one of the most powerful things you'll ever do. There's opportunities at work, in our neighborhood, at soccer games, at tournaments, where God has called us and he wants us to serve, to give ourselves, to sacrifice. But we need to be available. Colossians 3.17 says it this way. It says, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative, as an example of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him, through Jesus, to God the Father. Everything we do should be in service to God. And one of the greatest things is to serve other people. See, we have an opportunity to help people on a daily basis. But we have to be ready and willing to serve. Our culture does not help us in this. Our culture says, go, 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 get things done, check your email, make sure your phone's working, make sure your car's running, make sure you're getting there as fast as you can, make sure you're more productive, make sure you run up the ladder, make sure you get more, make sure you get your bonus, make sure you do this, make sure you do that. I'm not saying any of those things are bad, but they are bad. They are absolutely evil if those things take over and we squash people in the process. God has called us to serve others. 
first and foremost, not if we have time. And so this is the example that Jesus sets. We might be, you might be, think about this. You might be the only expression of Jesus and his love that somebody that day or that week or even that year will ever experience. You might be, you alone, might be the only connection that they will be able to have with God. You might be the only one. You guys know a lot of people that I don't know. So if we're expecting the pastor to do this, we are in deep trouble. Because I am, number one, I am not that good. (laughs) Not even close. And number two, God didn't call pastors to do this. He called followers of Jesus to do this. All of us. But we've got to be ready for it. We've got to open our heart to it. We've got to open our checkbook to it. We've got to open our, our, our time to it. Time is one of the most valuable currencies we have, but we don't like to let it go. Long time ago, there was an old man. He was walking along the beach. He was a writer. He was an author. And he was walking along the beach, and, and, um, and he noticed that the night before, there was this massive storm. And he looked up and down the beach when he got out there, and he started walking. And and as far as he could see this way and all the way down the beach, that they, they, there were starfish everywhere. They had gotten washed up from this storm, and they were stranded on the beach. They, they couldn't get back to the water, and he's just watching this. And then he looks up, and he sees kind of in the distance. You know how you can see down the beach? He looks down the beach, and he sees in the distance, he sees this little figure, and he realizes it probably is a little boy because he's pretty short. And he realizes there's this little boy, and every now and then he'd see the boy stoop down and pick something up and throw it into the ocean. And so they kept walking, kept walking. Then they finally get close enough to each other. And the old man calls out to the little boy and he says, hey, good morning. And he says, hey, I'm wondering, what are you doing? You know, I've seen you throw stuff into the ocean. What are you doing? I'm just curious. And, and the little boy says, oh, well, uh, you know, I came out to the beach and, and I was walking along here and I see all these starfish. And he said, when the sun comes up, the, most of these starfish, they're not going to be able to get back to the water. And so I'm just throwing every now and then I'm just throwing a starfish back into the ocean. And the man just kind of looks up the beach and looks down this way, and he sees tens of thousands of starfish. I mean, the kid is not even making a dent. And he looks at the boy, and he says, you know, son, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, but I, I really just don't think you're going to make much of a difference. And so the little boy reaches down, and he grabs the starfish that's right in front of him, and he throws it out in the ocean as far as he can. And he smiles at the old man, and he says, Well, it made a difference to that one. So here's why I share that. I think we get lost and we have the wrong mentality. That boy had the right mentality. Here's what I think, because I know that this is how I am sometimes. We look at the world, we swipe our phones over and read all the news, and we hear all the headlines. And we hear about world hunger. We hear about the victims. And we hear about this next storm. And we hear about bombogenesis on the East Coast. And we hear about all this stuff. And it's doom and gloom. And it's, man, people are dying. And all this stuff. And it's bad. I get it. So I get down too when I, by the way, I try to stay away from that stuff anymore. Because all they're doing is selling it to me. That's all they're doing. 
But, but there, it's just doom and gloom. They're, they're sharing all the problems that we have. And I don't know about you, but I, you, it's easy to get overwhelmed, isn't it? it it's easy to be overwhelmed and be like, man, huh. I mean, I'm just going to try to get my work done today. Like, I'm just going to put my head down and do what I do. And hopefully things get better. And I think that's what we do. We get overwhelmed and so we don't do anything. But that's exactly the wrong thing. It's kind of like uh, the older gentleman who looked down and saw ten th- tens of thousands of starfish said, I can't make a difference. And instead, we need to realize that God has called us to make a difference to those around us. Because here's what I know. We may not individually or as a church even be able to solve the homeless problem or to solve world hunger or to, or to, or to solve the, the drug ec- epidemic in our culture. We may not be able to solve that problem this, this week or, or this year. We may not be able to do that, and I get that. And I don't think that God has called us to solve the entire world's problem. But I think that it's very interesting and very important and very crucial that we understand that God has called us to make a difference with those around us. Just like that boy picking up the starfish, throwing it in the ocean, we can make a difference to this one and to that one and to those people around you. Can I ask you something? Why do you think God has given you the people in your life that he's given to you? Did you think it was just for your enjoyment? Just newsflash? It wasn't. It wasn't just to make you happy. The fact that we are excited about people in our life and friends and all that stuff, that's a side blessing. That's kind of like food tasting good, right? It's just a blessing. It's not something that had to happen. It's just God God gave us that blessing. The people in your life are there because God wants you to connect them to him. He wants you to serve them. So think about it. Everybody in your life, even the ones you don't like, let me put it this way, especially the ones you don't like. (laughs) Oh, there. now we're getting there. Them and the people you like and everybody in between God calls us to be the 167, to live it out every single minute of every day, every hour of the week. He wants us to be available to serve him and to serve other people faithfully, consistently. I hope and pray all the time that we are a church. We're never going to be able to do it perfectly because we're not perfect. Never will be. It's just, that's the way it is. But I hope and pray that we are a church that helps when we can, that gets involved in the things that we can, and that we are ready on a moment's notice when God calls on us to jump in and serve. Every one of us has been given skills and abilities that we are good at, things that we're great at. Use those things to serve other people and connect people to the love of God, the love of Jesus. That's what Jesus' example to us is. Let's be a church that lives the 167. Here's what I would love. I would love that our church becomes famous in our area for living the 167. Oh, that's the church that lives the 167. Oh, that's the church that, that serves. That's the church that they would, they would do anything for you. That's when we will be known as a follower of Christ, is when we do that. So let me call you and challenge you to get involved.
If you're not living the 167 kind of life, you need to. You need to start now. You need to start now. Let's all live the 167 together as a church and individually. And let's see what God does. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that you would impress upon us what you're calling us to. Every one of us in here, I know you have created and given some kind of purpose to serve you, God, and to serve other people. And so right now in these next few moments as we sing, um, may you just impress upon us what you want us to do. God, you know, I know you've done this so many times through Northridge already. You impressed, I know, upon somebody to start uh, a divorce care ministry in this time. You, you impressed upon somebody to start a food drive f- uh, five years ago. You laid it on his heart. And it was weird. He came to me and just said, hey, this is what God, I think, wants us to do. And we started unbelievable things happen. God, you want to lay some things on our heart. I pray that you lay them on our heart and do not let us run from here and run from that. Don't let us escape from your your calling, your glory, your love. Because we need to be the carriers of your hope and your grace. We need to stand in the place where hope can be found, where it can be given, where it can be displayed, where it can be shown. I pray that we would show love, that we'd show hope, that we'd demonstrate peace. Help us to live the 167, God, the kind of life that you've called us to, every one of us, every follower of Jesus. And God, I look forward to seeing what's gonna happen. If there's anybody here in here that needs to take a step and needs to bring something up, I pray that they would do that. Just help us, everybody in here, to take that next step. Whatever that next step is, I pray that everybody in here would take that next step. I'm not sure what it is. You know what it is. They might know what it is. Help them to take it. Help them to be courageous and step into it. We ask this and we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.